So we are in First Peter chapter 3. And um, <clears throat> like I said, it's one of those ones that it's, it's either going to go well or it's going to go wrong, you know? <laughs> and uh, so the very first verse here says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And I'll, I'll stop right there because that's already loaded, right? That's a loaded gun right there. First of all, why is he saying in the same way? What's he referring to? In the same way that the church is submissive to Christ. Right. Church is submissive to Christ. In chapter 2, it talked about um, government, that we're subjective to government, that we are. Um, so there's, what, we, what we're seeing is that there's order, right? And it's, it's never that there is one that is greater than another. And it is that same word here, because that submit word is not about less than or inferior. It is a government term. It's a military term. It basically just says that, um, that there is an order and there is a rank. In other words, the man is the husband, the husband, the man is the head of the household, but it doesn't make him greater than the wife. It's just, he's the one that ultimately we could say um, is going to answer to God for that marriage or for that household and how things are run. He's the final say, so to speak, before Jesus. And, and we know that scripture tells us that he is to love the wife like Jesus loves the church, right? And so that's, that's a huge responsibility because it doesn't tell us to love him like we love Jesus. It tells us to respect him, right? And so has any, any of you ever done that love and respect Bible study? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a really good study. If, if you've never, or if you ever want to look into it or recommend um, a marriage study, it's really good because it talks about how we as women crave being loved, but men, they crave respect, you know, and respect. What do you think respect looks like to a man? You think it's, you jump when he says to appreciation. Okay. Appreciation. It's like, um, you know, one one guy I was listening to talk about it, he said, it's like, don't always interrupt me. Like, listen to my full thought before you come at me with your 50,000 words, right? Right? So it's like those little things, because we kind of have that problem, don't we? You know, they, do, they talk about, you know, we've got like 50,000 words a day, and a man's got, you know, like 15 or something, or four, right? <laughs> Depends on the guy. My My husband's actually kind of the opposite. He has four words. <laughs> like, good morning and good night. <laughs> Yours is a preacher, right? Um, my whole family laughs about my husband because he is like Mr. Rabbit, Rabbit Trail. Like, everything, like, you ask him a question and you've got bing, 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 bing. And I'm like, get to the point. <laughs> I will, right? You know, but somebody told me one time, if you don't listen, somebody else will. And that kind of, ooh, ouch. Okay, I'll listen. Every once in a while, they'll all go, um, sure using a lot of words, honey. <laughs> Uh-huh. 
Yes. So yeah. So they they chose to make follow, right? Yeah. They they kind of they put a pillow around that word submit, right? So and and that's okay because really that's what it it means. Um, but that second part that you just read right there to your own husband, right? Because what does that mean to be subject to your own husband? You have a thought? Good boundaries. It means you're not subject to somebody else's husband. There are men in this world that have had been on that trip. There's some cults that are on that trip that, you know, men are superior and every woman bows to them. And that is not what scripture says. Like, I don't answer to Kathy's husband. I answer to mine. And an answer is a word only to say, like, he's the one I am supposed to be working on unity and, you know, love and marriage and respect and all those things. Like, I don't have to um, give an accounting to somebody else for how I do things in my marriage or in my life, you know. Um, Now, what if you're not married? What if you're single? What if you're widowed? You submit to Jesus. To Jesus, right? But there's so much in Scripture, like in Proverbs, that talks about um, wisdom and getting wisdom and getting counsel. So it's a good idea that if you're widowed or you're single, that you do have, say, a pastor that you trust or a deacon you trust, some man in your life that, you know, you could bounce something off of. Um, is that to say that there are women that have, don't have that same um, like resource you could, you could get from? No, right? Yeah, you could get that from me. It's just about getting good counsel, right? Um, so that you have someone and you're not alone. Jesus was also looking out for that as well. Um, so in the same way, in that same way as well, Remember he said in chapter 2 that um, we're to love one another. We're to put others first. Remember that? So we're, this whole thing, in fact, there's other scripture that talks about um, that husbands are to love the wives and wives are to love the husbands and, it, and it about putting each other first in that. It is just basically showing that this is a love relationship where we're putting each other's needs first. We're putting... Um, each other's um, feelings ahead of our own sometimes, you know. But it is not saying that we are to hang out in a relationship that's abusive, okay? Right? Like, so I, I know that there, that has also been taken out of context, um, but there isn't anywhere um, where we could say, um, that Paul or Peter or Jesus or anyone has been saying, um, hang out and get beat upon and hopefully they'll come around, right? That, that, that's not the case. Now, I do know people that have stayed with a husband that was an addict um, of some sort and God um, gave them that, that strength and that you know, support in their lives. And I've seen my own sister... Um, walk through that with her husband and he loves God but he falls you know and him get back up and I've seen God do beautiful things in that marriage um, because of that unconditional love now she set boundaries 
she doesn't just take it all. You know what I'm saying? There are boundaries. There have been consequences, you know, or, you know, accountability things, or you will, you know, go to celebrate recovery or be in counseling or whatever. Um, so, but there is this, um, you know, when it comes down to the second part here, if any of them do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Now, I believe that some women have had that opportunity to be in a marriage that perhaps the husband isn't either a believer or has backslidden and been able to be that rock in the marriage and it not be easy, but have seen their husbands turn back around. You know, um, I could tell you in my own marriage, the things that we've gone through, um, I had to stick it out in a time that was rough and my husband came back around, thank God, you know, (laughs) and he blessed that and I wouldn't go back and trade that for the world, but it was a hard time, but God told me to stay centered on him, you know, um, you know, context here of what this is talking about though is really about converts okay so because we know that scripture says we're not to be unequally yoked right so going and trying to marry someone and get them to become a believer we know that's like does it happen sure you know what I'm saying but it it doesn't always Very rarely happen. That's certainly not the plan. If you were to look at what's God's will, God's will says don't be unequally yoked. So he doesn't say go find yourself an unbeliever and marry him and hopefully they change. He says go find yourself a believer, right? Um, And so in this case, though, we're talking about first believers, aren't we? People that are just coming to know the Lord in families. And it would have been disrespectful um, because generally, um, the wife would always take whatever religion the husband had. So in this context here, they're pagans, right? In fact, we just learned a chapter ago that these Christians right now were considered atheists because they didn't worship, you know, the emperor, didn't worship the government uh, above them. And, and so... For a wife to maybe have accepted Jesus and her husband hadn't, the context here is Peter is saying, let them be won over by the change in you, not because you were a nag, right? Not because um, you kept leaving like pamphlets out, (laughs) right? You know, People struggle with that, though. You know, they want to convert their husband or their wife, and so they'll be too pushy in it, you know, and it turns people off, right? And so he's, he's saying, do it because, not because you're all of a sudden um, found this, but, like, don't, don't talk about Jesus, but talk about Jesus in a way that's positive and not negative in a, because they're not accepting it yet. You know, talk about the good things. But he's also saying, um, you know, let him think, you know, you were a wife, but now you're an even better wife because you now know you're more attentive to his needs. You're more 
um, you're more wanting to do what Jesus wants you to do and love him better and do better, you know? And so when I look at those kinds of things, he says, you know, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, I struggled with that so much because, you know, he goes on to talk about, you know, the gentle and quiet spirit that, that God loves. And I thought, I am not, right? Kathy's saying the same thing. I am not a gentle and quiet spirit, right? Yep, Tracy's like, I am out, I'm out, I'm off, you know. We're not all Pat and Linda and Carol, you know. (laughs) Yeah, right, because, and I thought, Lord, but you didn't give me that personality, right? You didn't give me that. So what do you think he means? Because he created us this way. It can't mean what that sounds like. What does it really mean? Anyone have any thoughts on that? I think let's look at the whole verse. Let's start in verse 3. And it says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So we get one insight there that has nothing to do with the outside, right? So maybe if I'm thinking about a gentle and quiet spirit, it has something much more to do with my spiritual self. Does that make sense? Than about my outward physical laughter or right or the jokes or you know what i'm saying like i think it's more about someone that possesses the peace of salvation within them does that make sense sure right at least that's what i'm going with you know somebody call me on it but i you know he says here don't don't be adorned right in so many other ways (laughs) um well just backing up there then to verse 3, that outward adornment, the braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. If we're thinking on those things, how much do you think is spent on pedicures, manicures, hair, clothes, jewelry, right? The bling bling, the bling bling, right? How much is spent on that? Now, if you were, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, your to-do lists and, you know, whether or not, you know, Jesus time shows up on the to-do list. Conviction-wise, how often does get nails done knock out Jesus time? Does that make sense? Right? Now, maybe some of you are like, I got an app on my phone, and I get my nails done, and I'm doing my Jesus time at the same time. Right? (laughs) Some of you are multitaskers, and God made you that way. But um, I look at that, and I think, you know what? There... There is nothing at all in Scripture that says that you shouldn't look good or that you shouldn't care about looking good. It just says that shouldn't be your number one priority. And if you think you're going to hold on to your husband because at 90 you're going to be like Sarah and still be some good-looking chick that the (laughs) king wants, then you might be in for something, right? surprise things start falling whether you want them to or not right they they just do 
uh, wrinkles happen. Um, gravity happens. Yeah, I'm hoping gravity doesn't happen to him. Um, okay. <laughs> so if we're holding on to that outward, do you know somebody like that? Someone that's mm-hmm. aging n- not, not so gracefully. They're really struggling. It, it's sad it, it, because they're so wrapped up in whether or not their, their significance is so wrapped up in that that they're afraid all of the time, right? That's not the kind of a fear spirit that Jesus wants us to have. I think that goes right into that gentle and quiet spirit because there's a peace within. Does that make sense? That we, we are... We are so much more worried about what's coming out in the qualities. Now, I know women like Pat and Linda and Carol that are a little older than I am that I would say a a little, just a little, a little older than I am, but I do not see a wrinkle. Does that make sense? The beauty that shines from an older woman that knows their worth and has their salvation, it's like you are not looking at the outward appearance, are you? And they just look beautiful anyway. There's nothing more beautiful. Right. There's just such a joy and a glow that comes from them. And that comes, again, it is that peace within them that is coming out. Because what do we wrestle with from the time we're like, you know, 12 years old? We're wrestling with that outward, you know, persona and how we look and how we're perceived and how others see us. And, you know, we wrestle, wrestle, wrestle with that. And I think probably you get to a point that you're like, it is what it is, right? (laughs) And you wear a baseball cap, right? Which I think is adorable, by the way. <laughs> I, yeah, see, she's wearing a baseball cap. I think it's adorable. But it, there's something about it that says, I am who I am. You know, I don't have to look this way all the time. And so God's saying, you know what, let all of that go. Let all of that go. You don't have to let yourself go. I don't mean it that way. But um, he says in verse 5, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. That, it's, it's still future and present, right? <laughs> um, they were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughter if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. There's that word fear right there, Right? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So, Kathy said it earlier, we have like a half a chapter and they have like a verse, right? But the weight of that verse, the weight of that verse... My husband, I think, he has to, he's, now this isn't for every home, right? But in our home, he's been the provider. 
almost always. I mean, I mean, he always has. I have pitched in here and there, but mostly I raised kids, right? But he's been the provider that had to make sure everything was there. And then on top of job, he, um, you know, cut the firewood and took out the garbage and did all those manly things because that's the way he was raised is men have certain jobs and whatever. But then he would still pitch in and wash dishes or make dinner, you know. But he always looked to my needs. And me having five boys, he taught those five boys, this, this is how you take care of a woman. Yes, he's done an amazing job. And every one of my daughter-in-laws will tell you, he's done an amazing job as an example, you know, of being a man and taking care of your family. That is a huge responsibility. I don't even like to take out the garbage. I'm so lazy. I'll sit it on the porch just to give it a little bit closer. <laughs> Um, so those kinds of things, I think if I was the one in charge, if I was the one responsible that my family is clothed and fed and taken care of and these, all these little things. And then on top of that, the little things he does for me, you know, opening the door or, you know, things like that. He, he'll still encourage you know, his sons to do or, and different things like that. He's taught them. Um, but I think, you know, that's so much. And then I'm going to answer to Jesus for my family too, right? And I think that, I think it would be so much easier just to be up here in these verses above that just says, I'm just to be loving them. I just love them, love them well, right? Huh? I will not call any man master. No. Uh, so I think the the context of that is um, first of all. It goes to their head. Yeah, I wouldn't call any. I think any. I think any man you called master wouldn't trust you anyway. <laughs> um, I think it had to do with the state of her heart, and less about the words. I think is what Peter's trying to say here. And that she was honoring and respecting him. Okay. Um, we also know more about Sarah just in the past, in, in the Old Testament. Just um, She obviously had a voice. She's the one that told him, you aren't giving me a son, so go get with Hagar. You know, so she obviously had a voice. Um, he obviously listened to her. But she also put up with some stuff too, Right. I mean, twice he claimed she was the sister and because he didn't want to, you know, deal with any backlash from anything from the king and didn't want to be in trouble. So he was like, oh, that's just my sister. And then the king found out, no, that's actually his wife. What are you doing? Take things and go. You know? um, so they weren't like in this perfect relationship where... You know, Abraham to told her what to do, and she just did whatever, you know. But there was a respect, is what I think Peter's really trying to show. Um, how can we be disrespectful to husbands? Belittle them. Belittle them. Complain, not look at them. Yeah. Compare. Yeah. Who does that? Who does that, right? <laughs> 
Definitely one of the ones that I've learned over the years um, has been not to cut them down in front of other people, right? So even when you're joking and you, there's someone said, you know what, even, even joking, there's some amount of truth in joking and it hurts. And so being careful about things like that, it can be disrespectful to them. Um, how many times have you actually been in that situation, though, with a husband where you were joking and then, or let's say they were joking about you. What's the first thing that we say? Is that what you really think? <laughs> There's always some element of truth in it, right, that, that um, is hurtful. And certainly in front of other people isn't the way to handle it. Um, verse... Uh, Eight says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Four, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord against, is against those who do evil. Live in harmony with one another. What is harmony? No What'd you say, Pat? No fighting. No fighting. What'd you say, Sharon? Grits. <laughs> Harmony. Oh, <laughs> I thought she kept saying grits. I was like, she does not saying grits. <laughs> harmony. Uh, when you think of music, you think of harmony. Different notes, but they go to right. They go together. So even though everyone doesn't have the same voice, doesn't have the same opinion, there's still harmony because they're still looking to each other that they would be in sync, right? And so doesn't scripture tell us that over and over again, be like-minded, right? So they're like-minded. They have the same goal. So even though we might have different opinions, there is one thing that keeps us going together in harmony. And then that is that Jesus is our base note, right? Right? Um, so be sympathetic, love his brothers, be compassionate and humble. Um, I can hear him behind me, and I keep thinking, when's he going? <laughs> um, love as brothers. When, when I think of loving as brothers, there are definitely times that um, maybe I don't agree with the way someone is doing something, but I have to, I have to see them as... Um, I don't have to say the same thing, they're your family. You know what I'm saying? Seeing them as a brother, in other words, that like I'm stuck with you regardless. You know, I need to figure out a way to love you in that way. Um, because when we're inside 
these church doors are, for lack of better words, because we know that church is just all of us together, right? But when we're inside of these doors, I don't always agree with that guy or that guy, you know? But I know that, again, it's that base note. It's that we have the same common thread of Jesus, which means I don't want to take that and destroy that relationship or destroy that person just because I have a different opinion. Um, We're called to higher thinking, I think is what Peter's saying now, that they're not strangers that we just meet in a building on Sundays, you know, that this is somebody that I got to learn to live and work alongside with because we have a common goal and a common purpose. Um, Being compassionate um, and being humble. See, there's that word humble because what's the opposite of humble? Yeah. Proud is what gets us in trouble, right? Proud is what tells us I'm I'm right and you're wrong, right? And you know, we this Bible study that we do um we do a, a daily Bible study through the U version Bible some of us ladies from the women's group if you want to be a part of that just let me know and I'll hook you up with that. Um but one of the things that they were talking about today was Satan will um he is just such a that wily little character that is out there constantly trying to stir the pot and get you to think about um, who uh, needs to be told they're wrong, basically, who, you know, that you're right. And that, you know, he's always got these thoughts going on in your head. And I thought, you know, in Scripture, um, there is nothing that says that I'm right and you're wrong. And that's grounds to finally speak up you know what I'm saying, or finally have a problem. Now, there are times to remain silent and times to speak up on truth matters, right? But opinion is not in Scripture. And so that's where our pride gets us in trouble. Um, And so being humble is to say, you know what, just because I don't think the same way doesn't mean that there's not another way. Talk about marriage issues, right? (laughs) Now, have any of you ever thought of your spouse as your brother, your Christian brother? I gotta look at mine as like straight Jesus sometimes because. Just like, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah? (laughs) I tell him too, he goes, What are you doing? I said, I'm looking at Jesus right now. There you go. There you go. I would say that when we, when we went through hard times, I had to remember um, that he is a child of God. He's not just my husband that is messed up or whatever. It's He is a child of God. And he is going to fall just like any other person. And Ephesians 4.28, and then I got to love him like Jesus loved me. You know? And so I have... Had to step back and look at that because if when we hold on to that pride and we don't have compassion for our spouse um, or for even a friend in church or someone that maybe is outside of church, even that you know we've we're struggling with, and that um, when we lose that compassion and seeing them through Jesus' eyes as someone that He loves and wants to redeem. we take on that role of God, don't we? We claim 
that they're unfixable. We claim that they're unredeemable when we get in that place. Um, so he says, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult. So again, going back to, you know, just relating that in, in a marriage, um, how does that look? Right? It looks like a big fight. What, what does it look like, though, if you don't reply? I have one of those marriages where we had to learn some hard, hard things, hard ways. Um, like, he was the guy that if it got really heated, he would walk away. And I would be the woman following going, quit walking away. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we went to this amazing counselor, and he said, um, no, there's different personalities. And he, he said, Rich, are you walking away because you're done with it? And he said, no, I don't want to say something I'll regret. And so I am trying to get away so I can defuse, and then I'll come back to the conversation. And I went, oh, it didn't matter how many times in marriage he had told me that. All I heard was he wanted to walk away. But when the counselor asked, and I heard that, I thought, aha, right? Okay, so you're asking me now to have trust that he's really going to come back. Yep, I am. Let him go, he'll come back. And he did. He'd come back. And you know what I found out? Um, When he'd come back, the issue didn't matter that much anymore. Almost never. It was like I had time to diffuse. I didn't care as much anymore. It, it could be put to bed. And so we both started tabling issues. In fact, if one of us starts to get upset, it's, it's usually me. And I'll say, you know what? Can we just talk about it later? Yeah. It's done. Right? I don't chase them anymore. And threaten and throw his clothes out. <laughs> out the window. Right? No. <laughs> But, you know, it's one of those things that <coughs> you learn over time. Um, so, but I love that verse, though, in verse 10 there. Whoever would love life and see good days. I want to learn from my mistakes, don't you? I want to grow up in them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm blessed that I have a husband that we have a stick to in that, you know, that we both want to honor God and each other in that. Not everyone has had that in life. You know, and, and maybe, and certainly 10 years or whatever ago, I would have, I would have thought, well, this is done. You know, I can't believe we're going through this hard of a time right now. I can't believe this is happening, you know, and I thought I, we were in a place that um, he couldn't even say he loved me. And I was like, where are we at? Did you can't even say I love you anymore. And, um, and so, uh, never underestimate what God can do. I did learn so much through that time. And one of those things was, um, because I was so wordy and mouthy and chasing you, um, I learned that quietness was, if he said something snarky, I didn't reply. I just listened. 
he always came back and said he was sorry. And I was like, this is working. <laughs> this is working. Um, so uh, anyway, so there's things that we can learn. You know what? I do want to love life and see good days. And you know what? We just talked about last week. You know, we had our day one. Was it two weeks ago? We had our day one of empty nest and we cried. And day two, we bought an RV and started planning where we were going. Right? <laughs> right? And so we get to love life and see good days ahead, you know? Um, and, and I honestly, if we had not had God at the center of our relationship, that would not have happened. It just, we wouldn't have been strong enough to withstand that turmoil, right? Um, so even if, and I think Peter's saying that, even if it's one-sided right now, you keep on doing what God has asked you to do and let him bless it, let him work it, you know? Um, I, I will say during that time, I spent, don't know why, but I, and I'm not the first person because I've heard it over and over again, um, Psalms. God just impressed on me, pray Psalms over him. And so I would just sit there just crying and praying. And I had no idea, but I was just reading the psalm and thinking of him and praying it over him. And that whole time, God was working on him. Is somebody stinky? Smell stinky. <laughs> uh, well, you know, sorry. <laughs> um, verse 13 says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Oh, how many times have you been trying to do something for somebody and they have just been so mad they wanted to hit you? Yeah, that doesn't really happen, does it? No, no. When we're, no one's going to harm you because you're eager to do good. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. What's, what are we doing? I just didn't know if that was an electric. Oh, oh let me get him. I, I don't want to interrupt. I just didn't know if that was an electric cord. What are you doing? Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may... We are in 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is, this is a terrible chapter. It's another one of those ones that wants to talk about suffering. Who likes suffering? No? None of, none of you are into it? None of you are a bunch of sadists? No? Okay. I'm really not into suffering myself. But there are some things that it tells us. Um, in Scripture, it tells us why suffering is good. We don't like to hear that either, do we? No. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Remember back a couple of chapters, and it talked about basically 
getting your mind focused. This is talking about taking up arms. When you hear that, taking up arms, what, what picture does that give you? Putting on the armor of God, right? That's something that we're going to need to do in order to go into battle. Not only in our mind, but battle when it comes to suffering. Because we feel like it's a losing battle as soon as suffering enters our arena, don't we? We, we all of a sudden got to figure out um, that it is not only up to us to win this battle on our own. We got to sometimes, am I the only one? You got to sometimes feel like you got to get your brain back in connection with God that he's actually the one in control, right? Um, because that doesn't always happen automatically for me. Does it for you? No. no. And, and I don't think it really, I mean, maybe... Kathy, she, I, she probably has that together. I, I don't. So I, I think, you know, if I was as good as Kathy, I would definitely be able to see, you know, suffering coming and be like, <laughs> and I would laugh at it. Do you laugh at it? I don't laugh at it like she does. So, right. So therefore, since Christ has suffered, though, arm yourselves with the same purpose. What does that tell you right there? That we're going to do some suffering too. Amen. Amen. We're going to do some suffering too. It's not like a maybe, right? And Paul talks about that too. Like this isn't really a maybe situation. You will suffer in this life. And suffering shows up in different forms, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Name me some ways that suffering shows up. A loss, right? Definitely. Pain. Pain, yeah. An illness. An illness. Money. Money. Ditto. Getting old. Okay. Going deaf, like me, right? <laughs> Elections, government. Yeah. Um, what about things that um, do you bring upon suffering all by yourself? What? <laughs> I can bring some suffering on all by myself just by the sin that I choose to enter into, right? I can also um, deal with suffering in some of the same ways, and I think that that's what Scripture is telling us too, some of the same ways as, as Christ in that he was rejected for who he was and what he believed, right? I feel like this would be a good time in our society that we could say that there are Christians that are being rejected for their beliefs, right? And we can feel the effects of that from others that um, maybe don't get it, right? Why you believe what you believe. I have a, um, this is recorded. Um, (laughs) So someone I know um, had something to say the other day about, you know, let it go. It was kind of like that free love sort of, you know, if you don't agree with them and they don't agree with you, maybe be open to the fact that you're wrong in your thinking and that they may be right. And I think that sounds great until it comes to absolutes, right? There are some things that we know, according to scripture, are absolute truths. That I, it doesn't matter how you coat that, it is not going to align with the word of God and I can't go with that, right? Uh, doesn't mean I can't love you. Doesn't mean that I can't uh, be tolerant of your belief or, you know, anything like that. But it doesn't mean that I should change my belief because it looks more loving, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so he says here, because he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
What does that mean? You were going to ask me? I was going to ask Susie. Susie, what does that mean? Well, I, I was going to ask Jamie. Jamie! <laughs> All right. My feeble attempt at this answer is that. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And that, to me, um, kind of looking at some of the commentary, was that suffering can be, in that purpose, can be that God would allow things to stop us from sin. Does that make sense? So we, we stop it because we get sick of it. Have you ever been in that place where you've committed something over and over again? There's a proverb that talks about a dog that returns to its vomit. Right? And I, I kind of look at that. God will allow suffering in your life to bring you back to him. And we will turn from that and say, you know what? I don't want to go back to the vomit anymore. I'm done with it, right? You don't want to have anything to do with that. That's my feeble attempt at that verse. Um, You know, somebody greatly smarter than I am would probably give you something way more drug out than that. But um, let's go with that for now unless someone disagrees. Nope. Okay. Verse two says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. You know, who or what are we living for? We got saved, right? I'm assuming you're all saved. Let's assume that. Um, If not, well, let's have a talk later. Um, (laughs) But when we got saved, it, there has to be at some point, and he in First Peter's been talking about that. At some point, you've got to see some growth in your life, right? And we do those self checks that Paul talked about, um, David talked about, you know, self examination. And when we get to that point that we um, are saying, you know what, I'm no longer living for who I used to be. I have a new set of standards and that standard is Jesus and I'm living for Jesus and I'm trying to go this way now right I'm no longer comfortable hanging out back here in who I used to be who I used to be at 14 15 16 17 18 20s you know what I'm saying who I used to be um, claimed they were a Christian but was doing some very contrary things right Uh, there was a growth period in there Um, but there was also a period of time where, um, at some point I had to say, I want to die to that sin, right? And I want to live for Jesus. So that is one of the things that we, you know, we, we have this word focus that we're talking about. That is one of the things that we have to focus on our life. Who am I living for? Am I living for God? Am I living for the things in the flesh? Which goes right into these next couple of verses this next one for the time already passed is sufficient for you have carried out the desires of the gentiles that pretty much is saying right there um and i'll finish that verse having pursued a course of sensuality lusts, drunkenness carousals drinking parties and abominable idolatries now that doesn't that's not the limit of sin is it no but i could tell you um that was uh kim at 18 years old in college, drinking, messing around. And my non-Christian friends said, uh, how do you call yourself Christian? And like, that stopped me in my tracks. 
And I dropped out of that college and broke up with a boyfriend and left because I was like, I was not living for God anymore, even though I claimed to know God. So he's saying, there comes a time that you have to recognize who are you living for? And there has... And there has been sufficient amount of time. I love that. The time already passed is sufficient. In other words, you don't need like a few more, just a few more parties. You know what I'm saying? Like if I could just get just that one really good New Year's Eve party and then, then I'll go live for you, Jesus. Right? I have heard as a youth leader uh, for years um, and even from adults, you know, like, well, as soon as I get my smoking habit and, you know, I get rid of that then I'll come to Jesus. Like, there's some sort of cleanup party that has to happen. Or, you know what, i got to get out of my party mode. I just need a couple more young years to sow my wild oats, and then I'll come to Jesus, right? We don't have tomorrow promised, do we? Yeah, you'll be coming to Jesus, yeah, no matter what. But, <laughs> um, but we don't have that tomorrow promised. And, and if that is, you know, one of the greatest messages we can give to people is Jesus says, come as you are. And he'll do the cleanup, you know, and it's done on his timing and, and through him. And then that's what remains permanent and actually sticks instead of trying to do things always in our own flesh. Right. So there has been sufficient amount of time for us to sin. We don't need to schedule anymore. I don't know. Am I wrong? Anybody got maybe that is a really kicking New Year's Eve party. I don't know, but I don't know. Have you ever been, uh, though, had your old buddies respond negatively to who you were afterwards? Yeah? Tracy, yeah. do you want to share any of that? Well, I had to start a whole new season of my life. Yeah. I had to leave the old life because the old life wasn't coming with me. Yeah. They weren't on board. Right. Twice that's happened in my life. The first time it was done for me because I was still in high school and making really bad decisions. And I was taken out of that high school, put in my bedroom, and the nail the nails went into the window. <laughs> the food got chucked in and the door slammed, you know. <laughs> uh, but in that time I was that was before there were cell phones. Isn't that crazy, right? Right? Uh, so there was no phone in the room. I couldn't call my buddies anymore. They couldn't come over. I couldn't go there. You know, I had no transportation. Um, so my life changed for me. My parents did it, right? The second time, again, let's say I got, I actually got put into a Christian school, and that was a punishment. And um, they laughed about that. And then I became a Christian. <laughs> and let me tell you what happened. Um, once I became a Christian, the person that opposed it the most was my dad. My dad was, first of all, never on board. His, his idea of me going would be the Catholic school, and that was because he was hoping they would beat the crap out of me. And, you know, and he was so mad at me at that point and the choices that he thought I was making, which weren't even as bad as what he thought, but there was no convincing him. And, um, but my mom, actually, um, she worked for Avon, she was one of the Mavon ladies, went door to door. And she put me through school. And um, she said, no, she wasn't going to. They had both gone to Catholic school. And they said, she said, no, I'm going to put her in a Christian school. 
And that, that's a whole, if you haven't heard my testimony, testimony or have met my mom, that's a hilarious story in itself because it's like March and um, it's the middle of the school year and Christian schools, as, as you may know or think anyway, uh, you got to get accepted in. There's a process, you know, there's an application, there's got to be, you know, references and all these things. And my mom marched me in and told this very, uh, he was not her match, <laughs> told this man that my daughter was, her daughter was going to start on Monday. And he was like, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that. And no, he will start. She will start on Monday. Um, this is where she has to be. This is her last chance. You don't understand, blah, blah, blah. And um, this was this argument that ensued. And he says, do you go to church? No, I don't. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, So he sat down and it pretty much ended with, he said to me, um, would you even be willing to hear about God? And I sat there and I thought, well, I could go to juvenile detention as a runaway. That was one of my options. Or I could go to this Christian school, which was looking a whole lot better in that moment. And I said, uh, yeah, sure, I don't care. And that was my whatever. And I was at school on Monday morning. <laughs> That's my mama, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but my dad was not on board with that. In fact, um, anytime I was a mouthy teenager, his comments were, is that what they teach? Blah, 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 belligerent, you know, blah, 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 you know. And, and so he, it also had transpired where I had always, um, I could drink with my dad, I could smoke pot with my dad, I could do those things. He just didn't want me getting caught because he didn't want to deal with the consequences of law enforcement, right? Um, so it had kind of evolved as I kind of stuck with it through high school and then started making these choices when I was 18, went right back, um, where he got a little excited. And then I realized I was making bad decision. And he thought, he was very angry I wouldn't drink with him. And it just a weird, like, it, let me just fast forward, though. Later on, though, uh, my parents got divorced, and my dad did come to know the Lord. And he's an amazing guy in my corner now. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to, please, if anybody's listening, <laughs> you know, bash my dad in that. It's just the process that he was in as well. Um, so even those we love, sometimes the closest to us, don't understand the choice that we've made, right? And there can be suffering in that. I wanted my dad to love me and accept me. Um, and I wanted him to come along with me. But he, anytime I tried to talk to him about Jesus, it was, no, we're not having that conversation. You do your God thing or whatever, but leave me out of it. You know. So that is a, a different type of suffering that we will deal with. I got to imagine for Jesus, because you, know, you and I, if someone rejects us, maybe it hurts a little or whatever, and we can let it go and we eventually get over it. I can't imagine being Jesus when someone rejects him. That's a great deep hurt, right? Um, so we can look at this and say, you know what? Uh, maybe I'll, maybe I could, you know, maybe I would deal with some of the same things that Jesus does, but never to the same degree, right? We could never say we've suffered in any way the same as him, right? 
physically, emotionally, spiritually at all. But he is saying, you know what? Anything that you think that you've been through that's hard, I've been through, right? We always have, he can relate to us on that. Verse five says, but they shall give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. And though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. What's that talking about? That's another thing I was going to ask you. You were going to ask me. And then I was going to ask Susie, and then she was going to ask Jamie. And when it came back to me, right? What? Okay. So. Uh-huh. Okay. And it goes on to say, but they will give account to him. Yeah. So those people that have an acceptance of Christ are going to give an account before yes. him. Right. And it's going to talk about... And, he's going to, and there's going to be a judging between the living and the dead at that point in time. Amen. Amen. So that judgment there, he's, he's going to talk about this a couple of times in this, in this chapter. And what he's saying is, you know... They're looking back to some of the Christians, that people that had accepted Christ, because they're waiting for the end times to come. The end times being near, he's going to talk about that in the next verse, um, is some of them have died, and they're waiting for Jesus to come back. And so they're like, well, what happens to them? Are they now left out? And he's going, you know, you can be dead. There's two different kinds of dead, right? And, and he will go on and he'll talk about the second death. Like in Revelation 21, 8, it talks about there's the second death, right? Because when you and I die, that's not really a death, right? But we can be dead in sin and stay in, stuck in that sin because it hasn't been propitiated for us, right? In other words, because, we don't, because you don't accept, not us, but because you, an unbeliever doesn't accept Jesus, they're stuck in that sin. There was no bridge that, that, that fixed that for them. And so they go to hell, right? And so he's saying there's a death that remains dead, that there's no life that comes from that. There's no eternal life. There's no, those that are dead, those that already died, don't worry about them. Their spirit is with Jesus, right? They're not stuck in death. This is, but the gospel has this purpose, has been preached even to those who are dead. Even though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You know, there was this um, story. I'm trying to remember what it was. You know how you get that thing? It's like, uh, it was a rescue story. What was the rescue story? I'll come back to it. Um, but there was a story that stuck out when I was reading this, and hopefully it'll jump back in my head here. But when he's talking about the end being here, near here, and he says, sound judgment, sober spirit, what are those things? What does that say to you? He's saying the end is coming. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Don't be caught um, sleepy or 
drunk or unaware of your surroundings. Um, my NIV is be alert and sober, of sober mind. Alert. Alert. Again, another one of those words that gives you, uh, you know, a soldier has to be alert, right? So when you take up arms and you, and you are on the alert, um, a soldier can't uh, be out of their mind, right? They, they have to have sound judgment. They have that sober spirit. And he says, what is the purpose for that? So that you may pray. Pray. Why is that important? I'm talking to God. Mm-hmm. That's our connection. What's our focus supposed to be in this world, though? God. God. What's the great commandment? Bringing others to Christ. Bringing others to Christ. If we're living for ourselves, think back up all those verses before. If we are only living for ourselves, we're starting to, we're wanting to squish in that one last party, that one last sin. You know, and we're not living with an eternal focus. If we're not living with uh, of taking on the armor of God and having spiritual arms and being in prayer and being sober-minded and with sober judgment like he's talking about, if we don't have focus in that, we're not really caring whether or not someone is coming to the Lord, are we? Because we're so focused on us. Do you ever live like that? I, I catch myself in it all the time. It's just me, isn't it? Yeah, I knew it. it dang it. It's always just me. So when you put all that together and you're looking at that and he's saying, you know, the purpose of this is prayer. There is so much more to this life than all of that garbage and all of those distractions, you know? Don't be caught dead in your sin. Be alive to Christ, right? And so he says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Why else does he go straight into talking about others? Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Because it is so important that our focus is on Jesus and our focus is on prayer because we have a commission here in this world, right? And that commission is to reach others with the gospel, And when we are, again, self-focused, when we are not having fervent, what does fervent mean? Come on, one of you teachers, give me a, what's fervent? Focused. Focused. I don't know why, but to me, the word fervent kind of means hot, right? Like you are. Like a strong passion for. A strong passion, right? So it, it is this strong, passionate love for one another because it covers a multitude of sins. That means that I can say, you know what, Jamie? Mm, couple things I could have put on your list today of what I thought. Mm, you might have been outside the will of God or maybe I was uncomfortable with how you handled that. But you know what? I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway with the love of Jesus because... It is way more important than any little thing that you did, right? Right? How many of you have ever had the unfortunate um, shortcoming of thinking, no way that person will ever come to Jesus? One or two of you, right? 
And then have you ever, maybe it hasn't happened in your life yet, but you know of someone that said, I knew they'd never come to Jesus and they came to Jesus, right? Right? Okay. Um, We have some famous examples of that. We have some that are still like Kanye West, um, still working on that. You know what I'm saying? Um, (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, okay, you got Jesus, grow a little, but yeah. But there's somebody who said he was Jesus. He said he was God. He's got songs about that. And then he came to know the Lord. And yeah, he's got some growing to do, right? He's come a long way, though, to get to that point that he's humbled himself and say and said, I'm not Jesus. There is a Jesus, right? And, and took that upon in front of the world. Guts guts and we could look at him and say i see all the ways that you are not perfect right and i don't know i don't intimately know the guy he's not on my you know rolodex but <laughs> but i'm just saying you know for for just as an example there's somebody that has in the public's eye decided i'm going to proclaim the name of the lord in a very worldly arena right the guy probably's felt a little bit of suffering Right? Guys probably felt a little bit of suffering. In his own family, his own wife, has probably felt a little bit of suffering, you know? Um, so be hospitable to one another without complaint. Anybody uh, have someone stay and then, because this is me uh, again. The whole Bible was written for me, just so you know. Um, <laughs> It's like all, all my sins are listed in First Peter chapter 4. Um, be hospitable. So I've had people come, and, and then they left a mess, and, you know, and then you grumble about it, and da-da-da, right? Um, so be hospitable to one another without complaint. I think, you know what? God doesn't even want us to get grumbly about the little things, right? He wants us to cover a multitude of sins with love. He wants us to... Forget what the mess is that those people left. He wants there to be higher purpose in our life, right? to teach them to clean it up, though. Unless you're with Jamie. Jamie will just teach them. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they need a timeout for a minute. She'll have a little talk with them. Right? <laughs> Right. Yes, that's what it is, right? They're just staying with the wrong person. <laughs> there you go. Linda Linda just tells them like it is, but she'll make you a taco. Mm. Linda is a taco maker. Yep. As each one has received a special gift, Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak. As it were the utterances of God, whoever serves, let him do so. As by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What do you hear in those two verses? You're wanted? You're whining. Oh, you're whining. Uh, Whatever your gift is, you need to use it as unto the Lord. Amen. 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 So if I go to work, I need to be 
Yep. Doing it to the best of my ability. Amen. Every moment. Yes. Yeah, because you're not doing it for men, right? You're doing it for Jesus. And again, having that mindset of higher purpose, right? We get stuck. It's so easy. We get stuck down in the gutter, right? Where we're kind of going along with, and, you know, we talked about this a couple chapters back as well. If we can get our girlfriend to go along with us when we vented to her, then we feel absolved, right? Because <laughs> she understood why I was grumpy, and she thought I was, had every right to be grumpy, and so, therefore, it made it okay, right? Uh, what Sharon say? Oh, yeah, we've done it. We've all done it. We've all done it. But, but, but I think that Peter's calling us here to a higher, a higher ground, right? And that's where we have to challenge ourselves, higher ground. And uh, that does take focus. But there is also in that, and Sherry kind of said it, um, is that we all do have a gift, right? We all do have a purpose. And um, if you don't know your gifting, well, there's all kinds of tests out there. If you feel like you need an absolute label. Um, but my favorite quote, I use it all the time, is Jill Briscoe. And she's this really cool old English bird. And she says, uh, wherever you are, whatever, wherever your two feet are, whatever's in between, that's where your ministry's at. We don't have to figure out whether I have to the gift of teaching or speaking or what, you know what. If you're standing there and there's someone in front of you, that's your ministry. So wherever you're at in life. And, um, and so I don't think that we need to say, um, no, I can't help with that because I don't think that's exactly my gifting. Now, is there a time for that? If you really suck with money and you can't count, I probably wouldn't um, volunteer to do that. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but maybe God's calling you to step that up too. I don't know. Um, but but. He'll equip you, right? He'll equip you. Uh, but I think here again, that purpose is, is that there are people that need to be reached for Christ. We need to be focused and we need to mind our attitudes, right? My, and mind what our purpose is and our ministry and that it um, is all to glorify God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Oh man, he's got to bring it back. I thought we were done with that. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. Now, did he write that knowing that Biden and Trump were in the middle of this? I don't know. (laughs) But here he is. He says, as though some strange thing were happening to you, especially in the state of Arizona, right? We're like, what happened to our state? Right? 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 Right. There's, uh, it, you know what, and I'm not like somebody that wants to go beat on politics, but one of the things I had posted today was, it doesn't make sense to me. It's fine if it is what it is. I believe in a fair election. But it doesn't make sense to me if a president is losing by $100,000 votes, or 100,000, 100,000 votes, why the senator in the same state of the opposite party yeah. is winning. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Right. And I only mean to say that because I'm a logical person, right? I'm not saying that he couldn't have won or anything like that, but that doesn't make sense, right? And so there are these strange things that are happening to us. Like it says in in verse 12, we don't understand the trial 
that we're standing before. But we also don't have the whole picture, do we? We, don't, we, we have this much of whatever some dude on Fox News lets us see, right? <laughs> and he claims he's got the truth, right? But Jesus is like, let me back up. There is a whole plan in place. And it doesn't matter what you're seeing in your little window right now. You got to trust me that I got this whole big picture and this whole plan and there's nothing outside of what, of, of his control. That takes focus, doesn't it? Yes. Because what, what do we want to do? We want to take up arms, right? But they're not arms of prayer. We want to take up arms. <laughs> and me, me and my 12 girlfriends are going to go recount the votes for you. <laughs> Step aside, sir. Um, <laughs> we have to remember who we really serve. Absolutely. Right, right. And the, he's in control. Again, you know, I prayed about it in the beginning about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was total pagan, right? Total. I could pray Biden into the before the throne of God. Do you know, Nebuchadnezzar came to know the Lord in the end of all of that because Daniel remained faithful to God and yet respectful in the moment. That's hard. He remained respectful through it all. He gained favor with both God and men and it changed that man's heart through God used him. And um, so you never know who's watching us. Maybe some of you in the room, you're like, Ariah's, because I got her name right. Ariah's like, you know, she is really judgmental about that or whatever. Maybe, I don't know if she's thinking that. Um, but in, what'd she say? She's like, you're talking to me? <laughs> what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my name just got said and I have no idea. I did that to Susie one day, poor lady. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but we have to be careful in what we're saying. It, again, let's tie it back up to those verses before. When we have a higher purpose and that it is meant to love others and bring them to Jesus, we can't hang out in the gutter and take up our arms and go to fight verbally in a gutter war, right? Because you don't know who you're affecting in that, right? Um, oh, man, that was terrible, right? <laughs> What'd you say? I don't want to hear it. It's still going to be ours. It's still going to be ours. Yeah, well, I'm going to leave that. Maybe Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, hopefully he comes before then. But um, verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And it begins with us first. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey obey the gospel of God. 
And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That last verse, right? I, I, don't, I don't have to, you know, where he says, you know, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't take up your arms and suffer as a murderer or a thief because you stole the ballots. You know what I'm saying? Don't suffer in those things. Suffer as a Christian. And then why? Because we entrusted our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Faithful creator. Faithful. We did one word, faithful. We don't have to worry about anything going on around us right now. We have one focus, and that is Jesus. Right? We can talk about it. Nothing wrong with talking about it. Nothing wrong with pointing out. You know, I'm sorry you're telling me that that's the color orange, but I actually know that's not the color orange. There's nothing wrong with having a conversation, but you mind your attitude with it, right? You mind, you mind your mission, you mind your ministry in the words that we have that come out of our mouth, right? Or on our Facebook, whichever it applies to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because you know what? Second Corinthians chapter four talks about how, you know, we are crushed or we're not crushed. We're, you know, we may be perplexed, but we're not done in for, right? There's that whole, it's really, I know it's a song too, and I should know it because we sing it, but, um, but even though things may seem hard, things may feel like we're in the moments of suffering, we are never going to be in the place that we have no hope anymore. We're not. Jesus is our hope. He knows the end. He knows the end result. He went through a lot worse. And he went through a lot worse, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyone have anything to, to, to add? Because I have one really cool quote, but... Yes, Sharon. The Lord doesn't call who qualify. Amen. He qualifies those who... Amen, amen. C.S. Lewis, ridiculous guy, he has no imagination. He said, he said, why do the righteous suffer? Or somebody asked him, why do the righteous suffer? And he said, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Uh, yes. oh, dang. <laughs> We've been specifically equipped in that area, right? Mm. We've been chosen. Mm. Yep, we are with hope yeah. and faith. Anyone have any? Yeah. Our hope is built on nothing less. Oh, and Jesus' and blood Jesus and, righteousness. and righteousness. Yeah. Hey. Do not trust the sweetest prayer. Holy, lean on Jesus' name. Nice. And it just keeps coming. <laughs> That's awesome. Yourself, you know. And Pat, she can remember lyrics to songs, not like me, but. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, does 